Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host, and today we'll continue to look at our cool Wyoming weather. In our potpourri today, we'll take a look at Riley Gaines in our sorority house, and we'll also look at Wyoming Cowboys sports. We'll take a look at some tourism and what's going on in the state. And finally today, we'll talk about religion on the Wind River Indian Reservation. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather here today on the 19th day of April. Cloudy outside, kind of cool, sun shining, a little bit of snow here and there in, in spots. Again, this is Wyoming spring. Unbelievable, these cool temperatures seem to hang around. We've had some snow in the area. It just doesn't seem to want to go away. I just made a trip to Casper yesterday, and there was snow in the, they had some pretty good snow banks in, in spots. A lot of water standing out there is one positive. All the reservoirs will be full. Just went over to Ten Sleep this morning and back. And it is cool. Their roads have been slick overnight. The Bighorns were getting snow, have a lot of snow. And it looks like it's going to be a year for some high water as this temperature start to come up. But right now, I was talking to a lady in the convenience store in Ten Sleep and said she's tired of our winter. And it looks like it doesn't want to end, but you have to have a coat with you at all times. We might get a little sun in the afternoon. I see a little bit of a tint of green out there. But one thing that is sure evident out there that baby calves are running everywhere. They've had a tough spring, but again, it's been one of those type of years. You see those baby calves and our farmers are finally getting out in the fields and getting their work done, working around the conditions. Pretty soon with everything going on, it'll be spring. And then, guess what? It's right around the corner. Road construction. Today in Potpourri, I just wanted to reflect on a few things. It's one of those days, and with everything that we've had happening, again, after our conversation last week with Representative Ward from Casper, and appreciate her coming on board, sharing a lot of stuff. And it's amazing in our news, the stuff that is hitting us right now. I did notice that we talked about the transgender issue last week. I think we talked about Riley Gaines. And again, I just want to repeat that I really admire Riley Gaines. For everybody out there that may be not familiar, she's a swimmer, NCAA swimmer, that had to race in the championships last year against a male transgender athlete. And she lost to that athlete. And she's standing up right now for all the women out there and girls in sports with Title IX, all the effort it took to get equalization for girls in sport. And now the White House is pushing the to break up more or less this, this idea. People across the country are amazingly not standing up for this. I did see a couple of athletes that spent a lot of their time fighting for women's rights. They're now saying it's okay for these transgenders, these males more or less. These people are all male. They just have said that they are, are a female. And so they're coming in and dominating the sports they're in. Meyer Riley, because that uh, cancel culture has been really heavy out there. It's un unfortunate. That just seems to be the way it is. We really can't have a certain opinion unless it's the opinion that certain people want. And then everything, if you have the against that opinion then the masses are going to turn against you. So it's really disheartening. 
is what's going on in our country. And again, we just need women to stand up. We need people to stand up and say this isn't right. And I've said multiple times, they talk about what are we going to do? It isn't fair to these transgender athletes. Well, unfortunately, it, it may be not fair, but that's just the way life is sometimes. And sometimes if you're a male and you're still a male, you just can't say that I'm a female and go play in, in the other sports and then also get access to that locker room which to me is one of the really major problems I have, that we bend over backwards so that male can go into that bathroom or that locker room and that the girls are forced to go dress in a, in a spot because they don't want to be involved with that. Parents don't want their daughters and, and involved in that. And so it just keeps building. And we talked about the University of Wyoming with the sorority that has allowed a transgender, a male, to join the fraternity, or excuse me, that was a slip of the tongue, a sorority. And there are seven girls that have stood up and filed a lawsuit to prevent this from happening. And it's amazing, the national chapter of this sorority is one that was really pushing this. I guess it's just the thing to do to be accepted by certain crowds to go ahead and let this happen. And these seven girls are standing up, and they don't feel right about it. And now the judge is making them suit to continue. They have to release their names. And I'm sure that they probably, some of them have been leaked, but when they have to come up with these names, guess what's going to happen? These seven girls are going to be just blasted by protesters. They're going to be taken and shamed. It's going to be just an onslaught. And it's funny, these people that come to these protests and stuff, you see on the news, half these people are just, I think, just paid agitators. They really don't have anything, any care of what's going on. They're just brought there to cause havoc. And so these young ladies are standing up, and now they're going to have to face, if they release their name, they're going to have to have an onslaught. It's just life how it is right now, and that's how they shut people up. It is um, this cancel culture. We could get all the girls in that sorority to step away and just leave the sorority and just let that male, I guess, take it over. And I guess then they could change it to a fraternity, as I said earlier. But it is absolutely disheartening with what is taking place. And again, that's all happening right here within our great state of Wyoming. And I hope that something can be worked out on this, but there's no way that that man needs to be in that sorority. But it just doesn't seem real on what is taking place with people out there and with this whole transhumanism that is taking place in our society. Why are we pushing this so hard? What is the reasoning behind this? So something to ponder on and make sure you keep up in the news on what's going on because there'll be a lot more of it coming your way in the future weeks. And finally, Wyoming Cowboy news. The Wyoming Cowboy football team has been in spring practices. They've lost some more players to the portal. They're leaving the program. Coach Bull, I hope, has some extra players available. And again, of course, Wyoming can go out and go to the portal to try to find some pieces to plug the holes. So, But they have their spring game next Saturday in Laramie. And then we'll be on to summer workouts. But keep track. We'll see what happens with the portal. On the same note on the portal for the Wyoming Cowboy basketball team, they are pretty well decimated. They had maybe three players left from last year. They have slowly but surely been signing transfer players to come into the program. And they're just building it one player at a time. And again, that is really what the system is down to now 
and this will not change. I don't see the NCAA really trying to address this. And it's not just the Wyoming Cowboys, it's everybody else in our conference, teams across the country. And it's even getting into the women's sports, the women's basketball, college basketball is having the same effect. The Cowgirls have not had an issue. They did get a couple of new players. Actually, they had the Bradshaw girl who has been on a mission. She came back. She's going to come back for one more year. She has a graduate year, so she's rejoined the team. And they did get a player from Casper College. that will be moving south from Casper to Laramie. The Igo girl, she played at Douglas High School. So, But they don't seem to have the issue. They did lose one of their players. I think one player has opted out and moved on, but it doesn't seem quite as prevalent. But when you get into probably the top 20 of college basketball, you're seeing those uh, players are suddenly leaving. So everybody scratches their head. What are we going to do? I guess it's what life's about now. I'll be here today and gone tomorrow, and I'll try to find the best thing for me. It may not work out, and if it doesn't work out, hey, I'll do it again. But I guess that's our life. Taking a look at Wyoming tourism, it's getting close to that time. We're getting into the later part of April. The last I heard that Yellowstone looks like it's going to open sometime the first part of May. People will be starting to hit the state. Again, the usual sites would be Jackson and that's always a popular area over there in the Tetons. And of course, the granddaddy of them all is Yellowstone Park, as we always talk about. And I've said in last year's podcast, I always feel like our northwest part of Wyoming, we have some just unbelievable country to visit. We talked about the Black Hills last year, coming into Wyoming and go to Devil's Tower from the Black Hills into Devil's Tower. Coming across the Bighorns, you have multiple ways to come across the Bighorns. It's just a beautiful trip across there. Also, what's going on with our state and some of the geological work that they have, their geological maps, trying to set out routes and provide a little more information on where they're going. So people that might be traveling in the southern part of Wyoming are always got places to go to. And most everybody comes in through the south and then heads north, especially along that western part of the state. I still think there's some pretty great places to go to in the eastern part of Wyoming, just a little different views. But it's a really great time to start getting up here. I noticed that the numbers seem to be down right now just with the out traveling. Not a lot of -of out-of-state plates in our area here that we have a small little town that does like to write out a few speeding tickets to lawbreakers. And usually they have their figures published in the paper. And I noticed there's been maybe a couple, two or three people that have been issued citations. So that tells me that... uh, People just aren't out on the road yet. We'll hope for a big year here in the state of Wyoming. As I've said in past podcasts, it's going to be a pretty year here in Wyoming. And I know here in Hot Springs County, in Thermopolis, in our town here, we've got a lot of great things to go see. A lot of stuff in this general area that you can spend a lot of good time. The Bighorn River, as I said last year, that goes through Thermopolis is a blue ribbon trout stream. It seems like the drift boats are increasing daily. So come to Wyoming, good time to come visit. Come see how the other half live here in our great state of Wyoming. Continuing on with our history section, last week we were talking about the Wind River Indian Reservation in our talk about the hot springs and the tribe sell the hot springs. We want to continue on talking about the Wind River Reservation. Today's story is from wildhistory.org. 
It's on the Reverend John Roberts, the missionary to the Eastern Shoshone and the Northern Arapaho tribes by Warren Murphy. In 1868, a treaty was signed with the Shoshone people, establishing for them a reservation in the west-central part of Wyoming territories. In 1878, they would be joined by their longtime adversary, the Arapaho, on what would become the Wind River Indian Reservation. The following year, the new American president, Ulysses S. Grant, made a surprising move by putting religious denominations in charge of overseeing new reservations throughout the West. On April 10, 1869, Grant's peace policy went into effect. It was also known as the Quaker policy because the Quakers influenced its enactment. Because the Quakers influenced its enactment. This policy rewarded those tribes that settled down, took up agriculture, and stayed out of the way of encroaching white settlements. Indian people who continued to live away from the reservation would be considered hostile. Most importantly, the policy stated the church group would aid in the intellectual, moral, and religious culture assist in the humanity and the benevolence of which the peace policy meant. In Wyoming, the Episcopal Church received responsibility for the new Shoshone Indian Reservation. The church was never properly prepared to look after the 1,500 Shoshone who would live there. In 1870, the church was poor and lacked clergy. It wasn't until 1883 that the first missionary clergyman was sent to the reservation. John Roberts was born on March 31, 1853, in Wales. His interest was serving the church in the missionary field, and he was sent to Nassau in the Bahama Islands. It was there he was ordained to the priesthood. However, Roberts yearned for a greater challenge. His opportunity came when he met Episcopal Bishop John F. Spaulding, who served Colorado and Wyoming. Spaulding assigned him to work with the Shoshone in Wyoming. Robert's trip was there was a memorable one. He took the train to Green River and then traveled the 150 miles by stage. This journey came in the midst of a blizzard with temperatures nearing 60 degrees below zero. The journey took eight days. On February 10, 1883, he finally arrived at his new home. While serving in the Bahamas, Roberts had become engaged to a young church organist named Laura Brown. They kept up their relationship by exchanging letters until she was able to come to Wyoming. She arrived by train in Rollins on December 24, 1848. Roberts met her there. They were married on Christmas Day at St. Thomas Episcopal Church. They would raise five children during their years together. At Fort Washke on the reservation, Roberts quickly went to work serving the people. He became the first superintendent of the government school. School attendance was compulsory for Indian children. Many attended against their will. In 1885, Roberts established the Church of the Redeemer that would serve the Shoshone people and other area residents. Roberts proceeded to organize congregations in Lander, Dubois, Crowhart, Riverton, Thermopolis, Milford, Hudson, and Shoshone. All but the later three have been active congregations at the present time. Father Roberts, as he became known, spent countless hours visiting those fledging churches, traveling by horseback in all kinds of weather. He officiated at numerous baptisms, communal services, weddings, and burials. Roberts also became a close personal friend of Chief Washke of the Shoshone. Washke, who was only in his early 80s when Roberts arrived, was seen as a fair but autocratic leader. One legendary story was told about their, this relationship. Chief's son, Jim Washke, was shot and killed in 1885 by a white man in an argument over a liquor purchase. When Chief Washke heard of this, he became distraught and vowed to kill every white man he saw 
until he himself was dead. When Roberts heard of this, he visited the chief in an attempt to talk him out of it, and the clergyman offered his own life instead. Washke reconsidered and said, I do not want your life, but I want to know what it is that gives you more courage than I have. Roberts used the occasion to talk about his personal faith and convert Washakie to Christianity. While this story says much about the character of both men, it was probably not true. The Roberts family tells a different story. Roberts indeed paid a visit to the chief after the incident, but Washakie's comments were much different. Instead, he stated, the white men did not kill my son, whiskey killed him. Roberts saw the need for a Christian school on the reservation. The government school served mostly boys, and he felt it was important to educate a girl as well. This became possible in 1887 when Chief Washke made a personal gift of 160 acres as a site for a new school. Washke valued Robert's presence, and the chief felt it was important for his people to receive an education so they would be prepared to live within the encroaching white society. The Shoshone Episcopal Mission School, later referred to as Robert's Mission, began operation in 1889 and served numerous reservation girls until it closed in 1845. The donated site on Trout Creek was long considered sacred, crowned by the Shoshone. The school was built with the assistance of the Episcopal Bishop Ethelbert Talbert, who raised funds for the complex. The bishop thought very highly of the Reverend Roberts and his dedication to Indian ministry. He once offered Roberts the opportunity to have a more prestigious position, but Roberts declined, saying, Thank you, Bishop, but I hope you will never take me away from my Indians. I prefer to spend my life here among my adopted people. The northern Arapaho tribe, led by Chief Black Hole, was allowed to settle on the Shoshone Reservation in 1878. Roberts did not hesitate to expand his ministry to the Arapaho. St. Michael's Mission was established at the present site of Ethity in 1919. A church, a school, and several other buildings were constructed. The log church was named Our Father's House. The mission itself was named after Michael Wycock, who assisted Roberts in translating the Gospel of Luke into Arapaho. In 1844, the Reverend Sherman Coolidge was assigned to the reservation to assist Roberts in his ministry. Coolidge was a full-blooded Arapaho priest who had been separated from the tribe as a young boy and raised by Captain Coolidge from the military post. He was educated in Minnesota and then sent back to his people. Both Roberts and Coolidge left enduring legacies through their work with the Arapaho. The Reverend John Roberts also officiated at two prominent funerals. The first occurred on April 10, 1884. A woman known as Wadzewipe and mother of Basil died at age 100. According to Shoshone tradition, early Wyoming historian Grace Raymond Hebard, this was Sacagawea of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Many modern scholars argue that Sacagawea died shortly after her historical journey and is buried in what is now South Dakota. Roberts believed that Wadzewipe was the true Sacagawea and recorded her as such in the church burial records. The second funeral was out of Chief Washakie on February 22nd, 1900, Washke, said to be 102, was buried with full military honors at the Post Cemetery. He had served the United States Army for many years as a scout. Reverend Coolidge assisted Roberts in his service. In 1897, before his death, Chief Washke summoned Roberts to his home for a visit. There, on January 25th, Washke officially became a Christian through baptism at the age of 97. He became active in his faith for his remaining three years and encouraged other Shoshones to become Christians as well. Robert served his people for as long as he was able. He served as became a bridge for Indian people with the white culture that surrounded the reservation. 
His style could be best described as loving paternalism. In later years, he suffered from blindness. It was said he could identify visitors to log home by the sound of their footsteps on the creaking floor. He died on January 22, 1949, and is buried at Mount Hope Cemetery in Lander. His Wyoming ministry lasted 66 years. Just another outstanding story from wildhistory.org and what happened with the Wind River Indian Reservation. And it definitely was a time in our history. A lot of people have reflected back on with a lot of differing opinions. What do you think about what happened to the Native Americans that ended up on these reservations? Was it good, bad, or just a time in our history that we need to take and reflect on? Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming. <laughs>